Welcome to the Freedom Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are investing in your relationship with the Lord by listening to this message. Check out our YouTube channel for a complete log of all of our sermons. If you would like to know more about FC, visit our website at www.freedomfamily.us. God bless and remember that the best is yet to come. Yes, what is going on, Freedom Church? How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing all right? My name is Carson Gramling. I am the youth pastor all the way at a church called Potential Church in Miami, Florida. So I'm super excited to be here. I've actually got my wife, my beautiful, incredible, sexy wife right over here, Jessica, who I am super honored to have here with me today. Man, I'm excited to be here hanging out with you guys. I do want to say thank you to Pastor uh, Terrell and Shanda. We've actually known them for as um, almost as long as I've like been alive. Like for a long, long time, uh, my family has been super close with their family. And let me just say, because um, you guys kind of see you know, him on stage and whatnot, and we've gotten the privilege of getting to really know him, his wife, and his family. And as a lead pastor, which I'm not, I'd say that like I am, I'm not, I'm a youth pastor, but my dad's a lead pastor. And so kind of seeing through their eyes, there's a lot of loneliness that comes with leading a church. There's a lot of times where it feels like no one's with you, you've got no support, the enemy really attacks you um, and tells you that you're alone, that there's no one who has your back, and it can get really challenging. And in those times where my parents felt that way and were struggling and it was a challenge, Pastor Terrell and his wife Shanda were there every single time to love on my parents, to care for my parents, to support them, to lift their arms uh, in this fight that can be so difficult. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, man, are they really about that? Like, I know they talk about all this Christian stuff up here on stage, but like, are they really like that? Like off the stage, outside of this place? I can tell you they are. They're really like that. They are some of the most incredible people I've had the privilege uh, to know throughout my lifetime. So man, you guys are incredibly lucky, incredibly blessed to have them as you guys' lead pastors. And you guys have an amazing building. Like, it is absolutely beautiful. We, Jess and I were just walking around, and like, y'all's like connection center, the kids area looks like Disney World, and and we live right by Disney World, all right? Y'all's kids area is better. It is absolutely amazing. And we're super excited to be here. And one of the differences that we noticed as we were flying, we didn't even land yet, as we were flying in, is that we have a different type of water than you guys do, okay? We have what's called ocean. Okay, so we've got these big bodies of water with waves and salt and stuff like that. You guys have snow, okay? And we weren't prepared for this type of water. I've been to, to Tennessee before. This is not my first time, okay? And in the past, it's been cold, but not like, not like this. We actually, Jess and I, were like, okay, we're going to be the young people. We're going to go out. We're going to hit the city, right? We're going to live the city life for a night. We went out to, uh, to Nashville last night. And we thought we were going to walk around for several hours and all that. We were there for five minutes. And we were walking around. I was like, this is miserable. I'm freezing. We're going back. This is not fun at all. It's absolutely freezing. See, the, the ocean, is, it's, 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 it's beautiful water. You got waves. It's hot. It's very relaxing. Okay? And so we do something in Miami at our church that's called beach baptism. Okay? I don't know if you all do like snow baptisms. Golden idea, all right? Just saying, you don't even have to give me credit. Snow baptism, throw them in the snow, they're baptized, life's changed, all good. But we do beach baptisms over in Miami. 
And so what we do is we have anyone who's ready to take that next step in their walk with God, we take them out to the beach and we baptize them in the ocean. Now it sounds super pretty. Like, oh man, that's gotta be gorgeous. It's gotta be so cool, all that stuff. It is cool. But the problem with the ocean is it doesn't do what you want it to. Like the ocean does whatever it wants to do, right? There's no controlling the ocean. And so I remember being out at a beach baptism. This was awful. We were out at a beach baptism. This is a couple, couple years ago. And I had just started like baptizing people. So I'm just trying to remember what to say. Like, who am I baptizing? What, like, what, what do I say in the name of what? And I'm just trying to go through that in my head, right? And out of all beach baptisms, this is the biggest waves we've ever had in South Florida. If you've never been to South Florida, our waves typically are not too crazy. They, they get up there, but they're not crazy. It's not like California or anything like that. Well, this day it was. And it was like six feet, like six foot waves that were just crashing over. And I remember we have this lady. God bless her heart. She was a, a wonderful lady, but she couldn't swim very well, right? And so I'm already like, she's like nearly drowning, just walking out to us. And so I'm like, okay, this is gonna, instantly I knew this was going to be bad. This is not going to go well. And as we're getting ready to baptize her, we're saying, in the name of the Father, the Son, boom, a huge wave just comes from behind us, knocks everyone down, right? And I pop up out of the water. It felt like a minute later. Like, it took for, and this lady is floating face down in the water. And I was like, she just, like, this lady died. She, we just killed this lady. And I'm thinking instantly, right? I should have been concerned for her. But I'm thinking, no, it's all good. We baptized her. She's going to heaven. That's fine. However, your boy's about to lose his job. And so I'm getting nervous. I'm like, what am I going to do? This is awful. I've got to flee the country, change my name. And so I'm getting all nervous, right? And as I'm trying to swim over to everyone who just got washed ashore, another wave comes right behind. Knocks, my head slams into the ground in the sand and the rocks. And I'm just like, what is going on? And because I was so, just such a good pastor and I was concerned for everyone's safety, when I came up to the water, I didn't take a breath, right? I was stressed. It was a stressful situation. So I came up, saw them, started swimming towards them. And then now I'm at the bottom of the water and I can't breathe. Have you ever felt that? Like when you're in like a pool or whatever it may be. My brother thought it was hilarious to like drown me when I was younger. Like I'm going to hold him underwater and most likely he'll be able to, like he'll live, like when he comes back up. And so he would always do that. And that feeling of not being able to breathe is the worst feeling in the world, right? Like it's awful. No one enjoys that feeling. But often what's interesting is we, lives, we live our lives in that feeling. See, a lot of times we live our entire life in a situation where we can't breathe. We're so deep underwater, we're so deep in all the garbage, the nonsense that we get involved in, that we can't breathe, that we can't see the surface above us, that we, we just have that feeling of lacking oxygen, that, man, I, I feel like I'm trapped in this situation. There's actually a, a sport in, in Florida, and I don't get why people do it, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it's called free diving, okay? I'm sure you guys have heard of diving before, where people throw an oxygen tank on their back, and they go underwater and they look at fish or whatever, right? Well, these people do that same thing, but they don't put a tank on their back. They just go hundreds of feet in the water with nothing, just their lungs, right? Doesn't make any sense. It's crazy people who do this. And what's interesting about that sport is that it's all about how long 
can you stay underwater? How, how uncomfortable can you be? Because see, as humans, we all have that tick where our brain says, hey, you need oxygen. You need to breathe. And the difference between free divers is they're able to kind of put that off to the side. They get that same feeling of, man, I need to breathe. And they're able to push that off. And while many of us may not be good at that when it comes to holding our breath, many of us are good at that when it comes to life. Everything around us is telling us, you need to get out of this situation. You've got to get your head above the water. You can't breathe. And we, we push it off. I'm all right. It's not as bad as it looks. It's not as bad as it feels right now. I will be okay. And we stay underneath the water. And so I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, well, okay, if we're in that situation, if we're underwater, if we can't breathe, then what do we do? I mean, how do we fix this situation? How do we get out of this situation? And I think there's three questions we have to ask ourselves. Three questions that will help us realize what kind of situation we're in and how we get out of it. First question is, is your head below the surface? Is your head below the surface? Now, what do I mean when I say that? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where it got much deeper, much quicker than you realized? Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't think it was going to be quite as intense as it ended up being? I'll give you an example. We, uh, over in, in Miami, it, uh, as I said, I'm, I think I said, I'm the youth pastor there. And so we took the youth to go skiing, right? We took them on a ski trip. And ski trips sound fun, in theory. And so Miami doesn't snow, okay? If you haven't been there, it doesn't snow. Like, not ever. And so the mass majority of these kids have never seen snow before, ever, in their lives. And so we're like, oh, it'll be super fun. We'll go skiing. We'll go snowboarding. We'll do all that sort of fun stuff. So we decided to go to Sugar Mountain. I don't know if you guys have been there before. It's not that far from you guys. It's right over in North Carolina, okay? And so we decided to go there, and we are kind of messing around with the green, the green hill, the green slope, whatever it is. And it's like the, the, it, the beginner, right, like the baby one. And we're having a blast on that. Like that is intense enough for all of us. But there comes a point later in the day where we were like, you know what, let's do the intermediate. Let's do the one step up. We've kind of mastered this, even though it's been like three hours. We haven't mastered it at all, but we feel like we've mastered it. Let's move up one. And so what we were told is that the far left was the hardest, middle was the medium, and the far right was the easiest. We had been doing the far right. We're like, cool, we'll go to the middle, do the medium slope, okay? Well, it was crazy because we're going up and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. We're looking at it, everyone's laughing. Oh, it's going to be so fun. That's going to be cool. Five minutes go by. We're still going up. And there, there's a shift in like the atmosphere of this group. Keep in mind, I took a bunch of students with me up, up to the top, right? Because if you're going to do something stupid as a youth pastor, always include other people, right? So that you don't die alone. And so, uh, so we're doing this and we get to, we keep going up. And we keep going up. And there's kind of a change where everyone was laughing and joking. And, and then it just gets quiet. And we're just sitting on this lift and everyone's just looking down. I can just see the fear on everyone's face as we're looking about, looking at what we have to go down. Well, we're on this lift for like 11 minutes climbing to the top of this mountain. And we get to the top. And we find out that it's not the medium. It's not the blue. Blue's a great color. It's not that intimidating. It's not that scary. No, see, we got to the double black diamond of this mountain. And I am faced with a decision instantly, okay? 
Wise decision, call ski patrol. However, I realize my students, they're, they're ruthless, okay? I would be made fun of for the rest of my life if I took ski patrol down the mountain. So I'm like, there's really only one solution. We have to go down. That's the only way we're going to get down. And it was wild because I instantly changed from youth pastor to, like, survival. Like, I was praying unholy prayers of, like, Lord, if someone has to go, please let it be a student. Let me make it down this mountain. You, I know you've got big plans for me. I don't want it to end here. And so I'm just, I'm so nervous. Right in the beginning, it drops down very straight. And then it goes 180 around a little bend and then drops down straight again. And around that curve, it was narrow, and it was just the edge of a mountain. And so, like, if you didn't make that turn, you died. Like, you just fell off the mountain, and that was the it. That was game over. It's, it's done. And I just remember looking at that, and, and, like, the students, I could see the fear on their face. So I'm like, okay, I have to be strong for them. And so I'm trying to convince them, hey, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. It's going to be all good. We're going to make it down. Everyone's going to live. And it's going to be a great story. However, how I was feeling on the inside is most likely I need to start working on my story now and tell your parents. Because there's a good chance not all y'all are coming back. And so I'm trying to work through this in my head. And in that moment, we finally decide to go down and I end up hitting a rock. I fly off. My arm kind of catches in a weird way. I land on my side with my elbow and my ribs. And I end up breaking a couple of ribs on my right side. Like it's still even now. And this was like a, what, two, three weeks ago? And it's still like when I breathe, it like hurts on my side. So it was a dumb decision. When I was up there, I, I quickly realized I'm a lot deeper than I intended on being, right? And I think a lot of us, we have this situation in life, is we're, we're, we know what we're doing, we're making decisions, we're living our life, and then all of a sudden we get to a place where we're like, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? How did I get to this situation? I mean, we knew we were going on a lift. We knew we were going further up the mountain. We never anticipated on getting as deep in this mess as we were. And a lot of us, our lives are the same way. We get ourselves underwater, so to speak. We have our heads submerged underneath the water, and we don't know how we're going to get out. It's like, God, how did I get here? What did I do? Where did I go wrong? What decision should I have made differently? How did I get here? Now, there's a lot of different waters that y'all may be in. I don't know what's holding you under. I don't know what kind of mess you're submerged in. It might be an addiction, something that you tried a time and time and time again to stop doing, and yet you can't. It calls to you every time you try and turn away from it. It might be finances. You just feel like you can't get your foot forward. Every time you try and make the right decisions financially, it, it blows up. You get frustrated anytime a giving moment comes because the last thing you want to hear about is how you need to give more of your money away. You just feel like you're underwater. You feel like you can't breathe. Maybe it's a relationship. See, that's where, that's where Solomon finds himself. I'd heard that you guys heard about David, I think it was last week. So we're going to kind of continue that a little bit here for just a moment. We're going to jump to his son, Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 11. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts towards their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. See, what you have to understand about Solomon is he was the guy who seemed like everything was going his way. 
He was the guy, he was good looking, he had more wisdom than anyone, he had all the money, everything looked like it was going the right way for Solomon. He looked like the guy who had everything figured out. And yet he was completely submerged in his evil desires. Completely underwater. Can't breathe. And, and here's what's interesting. Is he makes the same excuse that a lot of us make. You don't understand. I love her. I love him. I love it. Whatever it may be. See, oftentimes we think that because we love something, it justifies whatever we're going to do. Right? I mean, I can't tell you how many couples I've talked to where they're unequally yoked. And by that, what I mean is that one is a Christ follower, one isn't. And they think that because they love each other, and they'll tell me, Pastor Carson, you don't get it. I love them. And they think that because of that love, it's going to make everything work out. Because they love each other, real love, not questioning the love, but they think because they love each other, everything's going to work out. Somehow they're going to end up in a good place. That's what Solomon thought. He thought, no, 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 God, you don't understand. I really do love these women. I mean, it says, right? It says he loved them. It's not him talking about himself. He loved them. And yet they drug him to the same place that sin always does. He finds himself completely underwater. In verse 3, it says, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. In fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped all of these different gods. And in verse 6 it says, In this way Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. He's underwater. See, what's interesting about this verse is it says he, he didn't follow God as his father David had. But what, if you ask people, who in the Bible comes to mind when you think of someone who was created for greatness and they had a huge screw-up? David tends to jump, jump to the top of that list, right? I mean, when you think about people who had everything going for them and yet they made a dumb decision that altered the course of their life, David's always at the top of that list. And yet in this verse, it's saying, man, Solomon, if you had only ran after God like your, like your father did, if you could have only been more like David and had a heart for me. See, I think the difference between David and Solomon is not that they were underwater. It's that David admitted he was underwater. See, David was able to go to God and say, God, I'm underwater. I can't breathe. I put myself here. I've made bad decisions. I've screwed up. I've messed up. I'm, I'm not perfect. And now I'm, I'm underwater. I can't breathe. And God, I try to do everything I can to get myself out. Man, I, I took people out, I tried to move things around, I tried to make it all work, and yet I'm still, I'm even deeper. I can't breathe. God, I need you to rescue me. See, Solomon couldn't do that. Solomon could never admit that he was underwater. And I think that that is the challenge for those of us especially who have been in church for the longest. Because see, there's something that happens in our heart. We've been in church for a long time where you, we start to feel like it's too messy to be underwater. I can't admit that I'm drowning here. I can't admit that I can't breathe. I can't admit that I'm so far deep underwater that I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it out. And we convince ourselves and we try and convince all the people around us that we're just fine. That we're okay, we're, we're fine, we're going to be alright. And in the same time we're drowning. 
See, that's what happened to Solomon. He, he tried to convince everyone that he was okay. He tried to convince God that he was okay. You ever done that? You ever try to convince God that you're not drowning as much as he says you are? That you're going to be just fine? That you're going to be able to make it out? Your head will get above the surface? See, a lot of us push it off. That's the next question. First thing we got to do is we got to ask ourselves, God, or, or we got to ask ourselves, am I underwater? Second thing we got to ask ourselves is how long can we hold our breath? You know, when it comes to free divers, like I was talking about earlier, majority of them pass away. If they, if they pass away while diving, majority of them is for the same reason. It's because they went so deep that they didn't have enough oxygen to come back up. They went so deep into the water that when it came time for them to ascend back up, they didn't have enough oxygen. They didn't have enough oxygen to make it back to the top. And I think a lot of us do the same. See, I think a lot of us, what we do is in our life, we assume that we'll have time at some point to fix it all. That, man, at some point I'm going to fix this. I know it's not great that I'm doing this, I'm watching this, I'm drinking this, whatever it may be. But at some point I'm going to have enough time to fix it. At some point, I'm going to turn it around. See, a lot of times, we're diving deeper underwater, but we think the surface of the water is in the same place. We're going deeper and deeper and deeper, but we think as soon as I turn around, that the surface of the water is going to be right above me. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves 100 feet deep into our mess, and we know we can't make it to the top. See, here's the scary thing about being a Christ follower, is that God consistently... Jesus, when he was here on earth, consistently makes it very clear that we don't have all the time in the world. That our time here on earth is limited. And there's a verse that honestly, it keeps me up at night. I mean, it, it, it truly scares me. And it's in John chapter 9, verse 4. It says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. See, that's the realization there that, hey, there is going to come a point where there's nothing else you can do, right? There's going to come a point where you're so deep underwater and you turn around and you realize you're 100 feet from the surface, but you don't have enough oxygen to make it back up. You don't have enough, there's not enough in you to be able to make it back to the top. There's a verse in, in I want to say it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I might be wrong, but I, I believe it's there. And Paul says something. Man, it's, it's so powerful. And he's talking about a, a group of people who have turned their hearts from God for a consistent amount of time. And when he talks about him, he says that God gave them over to their own evil desires. And see, here's what scares me about that, is that that can happen to us. Is that we can turn our hearts so far from God, and every time he's calling us back up to the surface, we dive deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where we no longer hear his voice anymore. I mean, you can get to the point where you can go to that party, that club, you can have that drink, you can do whatever you want and feel nothing. We've gotten so deep underwater, we can't hear his voice anymore. We don't have unlimited time. There's only so much time. And man, I, I would hate to get to the end of my life or any of you to get to the end of yours. And we're standing before God. And he's asking us, how did you allow yourself to get so deep? And man, we can be really sorry. God, you don't understand. I wish I would have done it different. I, I thought I would have more time. I thought I would have more energy, more oxygen to make it back up. But it's too late. 
So what do we do? If we, if we can admit that our head is below the surface, if we know that we don't have much, much oxygen left, we know we don't have enough oxygen to make it back up to the top, what do we do? The last question we have to ask ourselves is whose hand are you going to grab? See, growing up in church, I'd always heard that God is the only one who can pull you out of your situation. He's the only one. And while I understand that, and I, under, I agree with what they're trying to say, I tend to disagree a little bit. See, I think there's a lot of things that can make a promise to pull you out of your circumstance. And for a while, it may. Right? I mean, alcohol can make the promise that, hey, I can pull you out of this situation. You're going to feel a lot better. You're going to be a lot happier. People are going to like you more and all of that. And it can feel like your head's starting to break the surface. It can feel like, man, I'm finally starting to gain some ground on this. I'm finally getting back to the top. I mean, a, a job that pays more money can promise that. It can promise, hey, I can bring you out of this mess. All those problems, all that un- uncomfortableness that you are sitting in, I can bring you out of that. You know what can promise it often? A relationship. Hey, if I can just find that person, that right, that right one, man, they can, I can be out of all this. I, I don't have to feel lonely anymore. I don't have to feel like I'm separated from everyone else. There's a lot of hands that stretch out, promising to pull us above water. I would say that God is the only one who can keep us out of the water. See, there's a lot of people who can promise that they can pull you out. Get out of this. We have screwed. He says, God, to save me. And And what they tell you, we will grab. Chapter 12. Born from my side. Most all the more glad. Maybe you got humble enough. I think we get mixed up. You don't understand. See, when you can admit that you're weak, that is when I best operate. Because in that, you realize that I am the only one who can save you. He says, stop flapping in the water. Stop trying to pull me down to get yourself up. Let me rescue you. You guys can go ahead and bow your heads. That you've been, you've been under You may even be on. You're under In your lifetime, you've grabbed yourself deep underwater. What's been submitting to him, God, I want to, I don't, I don't understand. Hey, that we know a way now, far beneath this. It's in you, like you always have. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for having me today. It has been a great time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today online. We join us in the auditorium, but the description is a link. If you're already on the, you may have about with what he has in the, the time of technology doesn't mean you can't do it the old fashioned way. There is an address at the bottom of the screen that you can send it to and it'll come, it'll show up safe as well, or just drop it by the office anytime Monday through Thursday between eight and five, and we will receive it. Other than that, you have a great day.